Good afternoon. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Cliff Smith, the Middle East Forums Washington Project Director, and I'll be moderating the discussion today. As always, we are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, who is a Middle East Forums Advisor in our Israel office. Um, you can join us here each Wednesday at 3 to hear updates from Mr. Perry and what the events are going on in Israel. Um, as usual, he will be giving us about 15 minutes of briefing on the current affairs in Israel, and then we'll open it up for questions. If you want to ask um, any questions, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to top questions. And without further ado, Mr. Perry, how are things going in Israel today? Um, good, good. I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about Iran today. I'll start with that, and then I'll make my way back uh, to what's going on in Israel. Um, so good evening from Israel. Um, I'm going to start with really uh, what's been going on this week and largely in the Middle East, Iran has been front and center. There's lots of events going on with Iran and as we know uh, from experience, a lot of what happens in the region has uh, sort of uh, you know, derivates from Tehran. Uh, uh, Iran has its tentacles pretty much uh, across the region. So. Let's dive straight into some of the events of the, uh, this week. Uh, earlier in this week, as we know, uh, there was um, a, a shipping, uh, uh, a ship, a commercial ship that went through the Persian Gulf that was attacked and ended in the loss of life of a British and Romanian uh, members of the crew. Um, what we do know uh, is Israel has incontrovertible evidence and it's passed on to many of its allies that this was uh, a suicide drone attack uh, from the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. Um, we saw subsequent to that Britain, the British Foreign Minister and even the Prime Minister, we saw uh, American Secretary of State Blinken come out and also uh, point the fingers at Iran. We saw today even NATO uh, joining in that chorus. Um, and what Israel has done this afternoon, it uh, assembled uh, the ambassadors to the UN Security Council uh, by Zoom and basically also gave them evidence, including the exact individuals that they believe were behind it, the people in the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. They have a new drone team, who's exactly running it, how they did it. Uh, they really gave over uh, substantial evidence uh, to the UN ambassadors. What they did say, interestingly enough, especially Foreign Minister, it was a, basically a briefing between Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, alternate Prime Minister as well, and Defence Minister Benny Gads. And what they did uh, do is call for some action from the international community. They said, words is not enough. The fact is, this wasn't an attack on Israel. Uh, this was an uh, attack on the international community because, first of all, you had a ship owned by a Japanese company flying the flag of Liberia with uh, Romanians, Britons, and many, many other uh, others involved. It was owned by a company based in England. The only connection with Israel is uh, the company which owns the ship uh, has a CEO who's based in London, but also has Israeli citizenship. So, you know, this was really an attack on the international community. That's something that Israel's really tried to stress this week. Uh, it wasn't necessarily an attack on Israel. Um, and so far we have seen words. There is talk that there's going to be a coordinated response. Uh, exactly what that means, we're not sure. There's been talk of some uh, British Marines coming to the special forces, coming to the region, trying to attack maybe the ship that uh, these uh, suicide drones were launched from. Um, Israel has basically said that it would love to uh, 
uh, cooperate with other nations on a solid response, a strong response, a robust response, but if necessary, it will go in alone. Um, there's a lot of talk, as you can imagine, behind closed doors, exactly what the response should look like. But what we've seen is basically, it's, it's an uptick on something that's been going on for months, perhaps even years, where there has been the sort of shadow, what some call a war between the wars, where basically the Persian Gulf has been uh, a setting for, um, I wouldn't say tit for tat, but uh, Iranian attacks on anything that they see has any connection with uh, Israel. And sometimes, again, it's relatively minimal, sometimes spurious, and sometimes even incorrect. Israel, what Israel has done is it's attacked uh, some ships, which are basically going from Iran to Syria to uh, support the rebels, uh, not the rebels there, to support uh, some of those uh, organizations or even the Syrians who are basically have been attacking Israel or have this relationship with Hezbollah who are, are transporting arms across the Lebanese-Syrian uh, border. So Israel has taken uh, some steps to try and stop some of these ships. And Iran has basically been trying to send a message that uh, we will not let any Israeli connected ships through the Persian Gulf. And what we've got to understand about the Persian Gulf, it is a crucial shipping line, probably one of the most important in the world, especially for crude oil and things like that. If that becomes uh, destabilized, the price of oil, everything around it really just becomes destabilized. So much of what we take for granted in the West really comes through those shipping lanes. And the fact that uh, international companies and these ships are being attacked now relatively regularly and more brazenly, this was the first attack which ended in a loss of life, really has got a lot of people worried about it. Uh, the question, again, that people in Jerusalem are asking to uh, uh, their can, uh, counterparts around the world, exactly what are you going to do about it? The question also is why, why is, why is Iran decided to do this now? Well, there's a number of events let's look at. First of all, this week we saw a new president uh, inaugurated in Iran. Actually, he, he's fully inaugurated, I believe, tomorrow when he gets voted in uh, parliament, but basically that's rather stand because yesterday he received uh, the inauguration from uh, basically the Supreme Leader. And what we know about uh, Ibrahim Raisi, the new president, is he is part of the hardline camp, very much as someone who is an ultra-conservative, part of the real revolutionary uh, endeavor. He was one of those uh, who, America at least, and many others around the world, accused of being very strongly involved with the uh, killing, some would say murder, of thousands of political prisoners in the late 80s. Um, so he is someone who basically shows a very different face from uh, his predecessor, Rouhani. Rouhani very much was someone who bet a lot on uh, trying to ease himself into negotiations, diplomacy with the West. He was very much the person who uh, was at the forefront uh, for the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. Um, someone that the, let's just say the West not just tolerated, even uh, liked to a certain extent. Uh, but what we see now is very much, you know, a lot of people talk about two camps in Iran, the hardline and the moderates. I mean, whether that's true, uh, there's a big debate about it, especially when the country is run by the Supreme Leader, who is definitely part of the hard line. But there's uh, a lot of Iran watchers say we can tell a lot about the direction of the Supreme Leader is who he appoints as uh, president. And don't be fooled with their so-called democratic elections. It's very much uh, decided from above. 
Um, and the fact that Wuhani was there and it led to the JCPOA and handshakes and smiles with the West uh, showed where the Supreme Leader wanted it to go. But now very much uh, he seems to want to go in a different direction in the inauguration speech. Uh, the Supreme Leader talked about how the West lies to us, we cannot rely on them, their words are meaningless. Uh, again, gave us a little bit of a taste of uh, what's to come. All of this is in the backdrop of the stalled JCPOA uh, negotiations. Uh, there seems to be a lot more pessimism these days from both sides, from the Americans and the Iranians on the future of the JCPOA, as we know that they're not uh, negotiating directly, indirectly, but the Americans at one point and the Europeans and others were, were fairly confident that this deal would get done. Uh, now they're very uh, much a lot more pessimistic. One sign that we could um, get an idea of exactly where this Iranian leadership wants to go is who uh, Raisi appoints to his government. If he appoints people from the old Ahmadinejad, who is again part of the hardline uh, government, if he appoints people from that government to his new government, especially on the negotiating the diplomatic levels, then we know exactly he's going to be very much following through with his hardline anti-West skepticism of the nuclear deal, et cetera, et cetera. If he keeps some of those involved with the negotiations from the Rouhani team, then perhaps uh, the West will look at that and think maybe there's some hope in still getting a deal. Uh, the other thing, again, connected to Iran that happened today was on the one year anniversary of that massive explosion uh, in the port of Beirut, if, if anyone remembers, which killed hundreds of people and left, I believe, hundreds of thousands of people homeless. Uh, there were, first of all, there, there'd been many, many protests in, in, the, in the last few weeks uh, in, in uh, all over Lebanon because the country is crumbling before our very eyes. Economically, it's really uh, just in a bad place. They have no uh, 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 gas, they have no petrol, they have uh, basically, the, the, the company is running on empty and the people have had enough and you saw many, many uh, demonstrations and it led up to today on the one, uh, one year anniversary. It was a real uh, show of force for those who want change uh, in Lebanon. What we see uh, many times on this issue, and we should know that uh, one year after the explosion, uh, which, uh, as I said before, uh, killed hundreds of people, we still have not had any sort of investigation in Lebanon. No one's been fired, no one's been investigated, there's been a complete block on it. So the people are really angry about it, they're really fed up. What we do know back, if we, if we think back a year, there were a lot of people pointing fingers at Hezbollah, storing uh, basically some materials that they were going to use in their fight, perhaps against Israel, and that's what led to uh, this explosion. So there's a lot of anger there. We saw signs today in the uh, commemoration events, uh, no to Iran, Iran go home, things like that. So there is a certain amount of anger, at least among some of the populations, uh, against Iran and Hezbollah. And of course, what was completely not uh, unexpected, uh, we, we saw some rockets being launched across the border from Lebanon to Israel. As I've said many times uh, on this webinar, the first rule of politics is deflect and distract. And the fact that it did it on a day where there's real boiling anger uh, on the streets of Lebanon against the regime, against Hezbollah's role, against Iran, the fact that uh, rockets were fired, and we, uh, three rockets were fired, two landed in Israel in open spaces, no one was uh, killed, thank God, and no one was seriously injured, just some people were treated for shock. Uh, and Israel responded with three barrages uh, of 
their own uh, on southern Lebanon and try to send its message across to UNIFIL, which is the United Nations peacekeeping mission in southern Lebanon. That's the way they usually, the two sides usually talk to each other. But what we understand is it's probably like uh, during uh, Operation Gaji in the Walls, it was probably uh, Palestinian groups who fired these rockets. But what we do know, and what Israel says again and again, is Hezbollah is in complete control of southern Lebanon. Nothing happens in southern Lebanon without it say so. So the fact that Palestinian groups are firing rockets uh, is, is very helpful for Hezbollah because they're able to you know, uh, heat up the border and try and uh, argue that they're not involved, but clearly they are. So this was a message, both from, I mean, the Palestinian groups there are not, you know, not, they're, they're not amazingly armed. The real threat there is Hezbollah. They have, they have a, a stronger army, uh, military, um, artillery than most armies in the world. Um, so the fact that they allowed the Palestinians to uh, shoot over, I believe, some mortars just showed that they didn't want to take things too far, but they did want to bring attention uh, back onto the border to try and show uh, the people who are angry at their rule and angry at the people behind them, which is Iran, that regardless of your anger, we're the ones who are still defending you from the, you know, the enemy on, on the south of the border, and that's Israel. So uh, we've seen the last few days really uh, um, major destabilization from Iran. We see some very pessimistic things coming out of Iran, especially for the West. Um, but the question that Israelis are asking uh, tonight is exactly what is going to be the response, because if Iran can get away with uh, destabilizing uh, this particular body of water, which is so important for international shipping, so important for the flow of fuel and international economy, then Iran will take it up at another level. And the Saudis are extremely worried uh, as well. Just uh, before we go to questions, just uh, in Israeli politics, it's been a good week. Uh, for the coalition. The coalition managed to pass in a sort of, I believe it was 20 hours, something like that, really uh, marathon talks. They managed to pass the first budget that went through the government committee in three years. Uh, that doesn't mean it's passed, still has to go through three readings of the Knesset, but it was a major achievement. The fact that they all voted for it, uh, united, every single member of the cabinet passed it. Uh, everyone uh, understood their role in this. And uh, basically, it's been a good week for the government. They've really tried to push all these laws that have been you know, put on the back burner uh, before the Knesset goes on, uh, on, the, on the summer break in a few days. And uh, really a sort of a show to certainly center force is in a secret ballot, because in a secret ballot, you can vote against the government and no one know who it is. They managed to get their people on um, the committee which uh, chooses uh, judges. Now, why is this important? First of all, the justice system is a major political issue uh, in Israel, and the fact that the government really was able to keep everybody in line, even in the secret ballot, to make sure that they got their person on was quite an achievement. What was uh, a very bad day, let's say, for former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, not only did he not get his pick in the could, he wanted Orly Levy. Uh, no, he wanted, sorry, he wanted Karen Barak, who ran against Audi Levy. He wanted Karen Barak because he felt that she'd be more palatable to the coalition and perhaps get a few votes there and manage to get her in and embarrass the coalition. He wasn't even able to get his candidate, Karen Barak, in. Audi Levy 
who ran against Karen Bauer, was voted from within the Likud. So that was a big blow from Netanyahu within the Likud. And then uh, Oli Levy did not make it onto the, uh, the uh, 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 committee for appointing uh, the just uh, future judges. This is, uh, I read today, the first time in 25 years that there's been no Likud member on this committee. So that's uh, pretty extraordinary. At the same time, they voted um, for a committee to appoint Dayanim. Dayanim are the sort of Jewish religious judges. And extraordinarily there, again, it's not a major, major moment in uh, Israeli politics, but for the first time in I don't know how long, generations, there is no ultra-Orthodox member of that committee. And you can imagine that that uh, certainly will have repercussions in the days, weeks, and months ahead. So those are the sort of two things I, I, I thought to talk about, but I'm happy to answer any questions on these issues or anything else. Uh, let's start with this. Um, you mentioned, you know, this happened, some of this stuff happens in the backdrop of um, difficulties in the talks with the JCPOA. Do you think their aggressive actions in the Gulf are in spite of or because of the difficulties in those talks? Or is it just, uh, is it related in any way? Of course, um, it is very much related. Uh, they, they are trying to, you know, it, it's a lot of saber rattling. They're trying to show that they are too strong to be ignored. Uh, they're trying to show what a threat they are. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, another important element, uh, Benny Gantz said today in his discussion with the ambassadors from the Security Council is he believes that Iran is now 10 weeks away from breakout status, uh, from being able to have the technology for nuclear weapon. Obviously, there's other issues, payload, missiles, and everything else, but 10 weeks is a very short amount of time. What is most worrying Israel uh, at this stage is that now the scientists, the experts in Iran, have the knowledge that even if a new agreement came up that pushed them back physically, they have the knowledge and the experience and the understanding to be able to take those steps pretty much quickly if uh, talk should break down or if the agreement should break down again. So it's clear that everything is related. It's clear that the election of Raisi uh, is related to the talks. It, it, it's clear the direction that the Supreme Leader is going in, trying to show great skepticism, trying to push uh, America into a corner, trying to show them that if we don't make this agreement, uh, the situation is going to get worse, really trying to ratchet up the the pressure and all this uh, in the while, nothing's really going on in Vienna where the talks are supposed to take place. Yeah, one of our other panelists, um, one of our other guests that is, I'm sorry, um, also raised the, the comment that Gantz made that he believes it's 10 weeks away. Um, do you think this um, increases the chance Israel will take military action against Iranian sites or is that, uh, or is it not, does it, or is it not, I guess? It's a very good question. I think Israel will learn a lot um, from the experience now. If the Americans and the British, after uh, saying openly, we believe Iran was behind this attack on the Mercer Street, this uh, commercial ship uh, that was attacked, uh, if they don't take any action, I think the Israeli decision makers will understand that uh, if they don't do anything on a blatant attack on a, on a major shipping line against uh, you know, uh, foreign citizens, international citizens, British, Romanian, uh, EU citizens, uh, 
British isn't anymore, but Romania is, um, then really Israel understands that we need to go it alone. And in fact, these are comments that Prime Minister Naftali Bennett has repeated in recent days that they hope to work with the international community, but Israel will still be able to take the action it needs. Whether that will be uh, some sort of military action, um, it's a tough one. It's the big question uh, that's been asked now for years. Uh, it's about my pay grade. I don't want to come down one way or another on it. Um, I believe that we have the ability, um, but it's obviously a very, very messy situation to go down that road. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of other steps in the past that Israel's taken, and there's a lot of other steps that Israel could continue to take. Uh, whether that will, at this stage, push them back too much, if uh, you know our defense minister believes that they're only 10 weeks away from uh, acquiring uh, nuclear material, uh, that's obviously a very worrying situation. So I'm sure that there are um, very intense discussions on this, but I wouldn't like to come down on it one way or another. Yeah. Uh, Kerry Hillbrand asks that there mentions there are reports from Russia that have, that have changed the rules of the game by permitting Israeli airstrikes in Syria. Do you think um, how you know much about this and do you think it will impact airstrike operations in the region? Um, I think we related to this last week or the week before. Yeah, there were these reports. Um, nothing has come out beyond these reports. Uh, we haven't seen any significant uh, activity over Syria uh, by Israeli uh, military in recent days. But as what, what I can tell from some of the people I've spoken to, um, they know how to deal with the Russians. They know how to work well with the Russians. They've They've been working well with the Russians ever since there was a mistake. Um, uh, I think it was a, a few years ago, but Israel will still, if it believes that uh, there are, you know, uh, there is a real danger emanating from Syria, I believe that they'll still uh, take the necessary steps as they have in the past. Don't forget, you know, under Herod Ormond all those years ago, Israel took out Syria's nuclear um, uh, weapons plant. And certainly that was something that Russians wouldn't have been too happy about. So. I believe that Israeli leaders will continue to take the, the steps necessary while coordinating with the Russians, because obviously they don't want to get into a direct battle with the Russians. Yeah. Um, do you think the recent um, successes of the government that you mentioned um, increase the likelihood that this government will serve for a full term? Uh, certainly, uh, but really, as I've said uh, for the last few weeks, the big game is the budget. Everyone is really massing their forces ahead of the budget. This is just the teaser, the appetizer. Uh, the budget, passing the budget is going to be difficult. It's going to be long. Uh, the opposition will do everything possible, use every trick they can. And they've been using many, many tricks over the last few weeks, as, as we've discussed, to try and delay, to try and stymie, to try and stop. But this week has certainly showed that the government has really uh, come together when necessary, even when there's no one looking over your shoulder, as in, uh, secret ballots. Uh, the government really came together, uh, united, uh, to get what it wanted, and it's been, it's been, a, it's been a good week for the government. There hasn't been the crises that we've seen in previous weeks, and I think that bodes, bodes well. I think it's really uh, the tailwind from the budget. There were, as I said, it was a marathon uh, sessions to try and pass it through, and it was very important to this government that they voted unanimously. Sometimes in budgets. Uh, you get a minister who didn't get what they wanted or they want to 
you know, show off to a certain constituency, so they abstain or maybe vote against, but at the end of the day, they still have an overwhelming majority. It was very important for this government to show uh, their supporters and the opposition that they are unanimous. And this is a budget that they all agree on. Obviously, like all budgets, there's going to be a lot of changes uh, as it works its way through the committees. Uh, but at the moment, I would be certainly op optimistic uh, that this budget will go through. And once it goes through, it's much harder to bring down the government for the next two years. This will be a two-year budget. Uh, obviously, it's not impossible, but to bring down a government, uh, you need the opposition needs to bring uh, 61 votes and it needs to bring uh, an alternative government. And don't forget, there are six seats in the opposition from the uh, United uh, Arab List, which uh, will not necessarily be voting for Benjamin Netanyahu to be prime minister again. Yeah. Uh, switching gears, um, there's been a lot of um, discussion of how China and Israel have been increasing their relationship and the and they're um, working together on various things. Do you think this has affected the American-Israeli relationship and what's it mean for the future of both? Well, I would say since uh, 2009, there's been a reassessment within Israel exactly where it wants to put uh, its emphasis. Obviously, up until that point, there, there was a feeling under, uh, during the Olmert years, uh, we'd simply live in his foreign minister, there was too much emphasis put on Washington. Not to say every single government understands that America is our best friend in the world, it is irreplaceable, but there was a sort of, uh, you know, a lack of interest in the rest of the world. Uh, in 2009, and I was part of that, uh, uh, foreign ministry where it was decided we would be reaching out to other places in the world that we just simply haven't for decades, Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, elsewhere, and really to try and have a, a holistic global policy. Again, nothing will replace America. And it's shown that there's been, uh, whenever, you know, whenever it's come down to America or China, Israel will obviously come down on the side of America. And it was shown that uh, the Chinese bid for uh, um, there, was, there was something in one of the ports, I believe in Haifa, there was, a, there was a bid and there was a Chinese company which won the bid and the Americans stepped in and said, uh, you're not selling to the Chinese and the Israeli government dropped it. So when it comes to anything where the Americans will object too much, it's fairly obvious that uh, Israelis will side with uh, their American friends, uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't have a good relationship with China. And there's certainly been an interest in trying to embolden that relationship. There's a lot that it can do, and China is a world power. Like Israel has a relationship with India, with Russia, with many uh, other major powers. But at the end of the day, there is only one indispensable uh, friend of Israel, and that's uh, the United States. And everyone in the government, whether left or right or whatever it is, understands that very clearly. Uh, Robert Larrick, one of our audience members, mentions an article that came out today in Newsweek concerning a Russian-China joint plan for moderating peace between Hamas and the Palestinians. Um, can any good come of this? Um, I don't know if any good can come of it because according to all uh, players locally, it's not gonna happen. I, I believe the head of Islamic Jihad came out and said it's just not gonna happen. Uh, there's always talk of this and there's a lot of players involved. Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, plenty. Our people have tried this. Uh, so far, we've been hearing about reconciliation for I don't know how many years. 
but ever since uh, Hamas took over Gaza and they started throwing Fatah and Palestinian Authority uh, members off a very high building roof, uh, there's been basically no love lost between the two. And I don't, uh, it's not whether it's a good idea or bad, I just don't see it happening at this point. I could be proved wrong, obviously. All right, and last question from our audience. Um, Mindy Stein mentions that uh, there was reports of gunmen who amb ambushed a Hezbollah funeral in Lebanon. Um, do you know who was behind this? Can we expect other resistance to Hezbollah, um, not just demonstrating in Lebanon? Well, as we know, in Lebanon, there's four major sort of, let's say, religious groups. There's the Shiites, the Sunnis, uh, the Christians, and the Jews. And, you know, there was a Christian majority at one point today, they're a minority. Hezbollah have a lot of enemies. A lot of enemies, by the way, even in the Shiite camp, there are other Shiite parties. Um, I haven't looked too closely. I did hear about this incident. Uh, I didn't look too closely into who's being accused of it, but it's no surprise. Hezbollah are not, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to have demonstrations on the streets and there's been street battles between uh, Hezbollah militants and average residents, but uh, what, what, what's happening here, what happened here at the funeral goes much deeper. There is, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of disagreements uh, between the various militant groups. <coughs> a lot of it has relevance for the political battles. Uh, you know, uh, Lebanon hasn't had a stable government for I don't know how many years. And there's a lot of disagreements. So because of the accords, the type of accords back in the day, there has to be very uh, sort of uh, delicate balancing act within uh, uh, Lebanese politics. So there's always different things that are trying to move the needle a little bit here and there. And maybe some are trying to take advantage of the weakening of Hezbollah's uh, popularity. There was, I saw earlier, I believe it was on France 24, that there's been a major change in Lebanon where the leaders, whether they were Hezbollah or government leaders, used to be able to walk the streets freely with their families, sit in restaurants, uh, for the last few years, they haven't been able to do that because of the tension within the country but between the various groups and between the citizens who, quite frankly, are sick of seeing their country crumbling uh, around them. So uh, there could be a number of uh, fingers pointed in these sort of incidents. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Ashley. Really appreciate it. Great insights as always. Um, anyhow, we've come to the end of our webinar and podcast. Thank you again for coming. Um, please join us Friday for a continuation of our new year series featuring MEF project directors and specialists in their field. Thank you all for joining us and we have a great day. See you next time.